name is C.S. Stanley, and I've been working as a photographer for two years for the International Mission Board. My job is to travel to different countries and document what God is doing through the work of Southern Baptist missionaries and the peoples they serve. But on a recent trip to the Amazon Basin in South America, there was no work to document, and the whole point of going was to find out why. The Amazon Basin is one of the world's most biologically diverse habitats, spanning an area nearly as large as the U.S. It's also one of the most culturally diverse, holding more than 400 distinct people groups. The single greatest challenge to taking the gospel to these unreached groups is access. Trying to get to the indigenous peoples is like trying to get from New York to L.A. by canoe. There's hardly any roads. Another challenge is a political one. Many of the indigenous groups are protected by reservations that prohibit outsiders from coming in. So, as a photographer, how do I document the spiritual needs of a people I couldn't see or meet? Well, little did I know how much prayer would play a part in my nine-day exploration for the answers. Why in the world would you take your family to go and live in the Amazon Basin? Uh, this is the question, obviously, that Jenny and I have been asked a multitude of times now ever since we made public our call to go and serve as your international missionaries living there in the Amazon Basin area of Brazil. And the questions go on. Folks tend to continue to ask, you know, Rob, you've got a really good job. You seem to have a fruitful ministry. There are all kinds of lost people that are living here in Warren County. Why can't you just serve God here? Those are really good questions. And Jeannie and I have been invited to come and join you today on what is your annual World Mission Sunday. And it is very possible that some of you have come this morning with questions of your own. Why should we give for world missions? Especially now, Rob, in this economy at a time when our church is trying to expand locally to a second campus over in the Franklin area. Why should we give? Why should we maybe even make sacrifices in order to give for world missions? I tell you, these are all outstanding questions. And I'm genuinely glad when people ask these questions because I think they open a door for us to have what is a very important, what is a very meaningful conversation. And Jenny and I are excited to be able to be here with you this morning and to engage those questions for just a little bit. You see, goers, those of us who go on short-term international mission trips, especially those of us who have been called to plant our lives internationally, they provoke these questions because they seem to be the most out there. They are the most visible in what God is doing globally around the world. And yet you and I understand instinctively that goers cannot go alone. And that is where you come in this morning. No matter who you are, no matter where you happen to be right now in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a critical place for every one of us to play in seeing the Great Commission fulfilled, both locally and abroad. But tragically, I find that as I interact with most Christians today, that the vast majority of us have not really found our place in the Great Commission. In fact, a lot of believers today are simply sitting on the sidelines watching it play out in and through other lives. And so this morning, I want to very quickly, in the brief time that we'll have together, 
to try and cast a vision for how we can be evolved proactively in what God is doing globally. More than that, uh, we're going to address those why questions. We're going to try to answer them head on and as honestly as we can this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10, our focal text will be verses 13 through 15. And while you're turning there, I'm going to take advantage of that moment of the turning of pages just to express our gratitude uh, for the invitation to be here at Woodburn Baptist Church this morning. Jenny and I have been serving locally at Eastwood Baptist Church for over five years now and have had the joy of getting to know your pastor and Warren and several other here in the congregation. And we've just been hearing so many exciting things that God is doing in Woodburn Baptist Church. God is doing through you. And we were excited to get to come and see it with our own eyes. And I was telling to my wife earlier on, it's a fun place to be this morning and see what God is doing here. So Pastor Tim, thank you so much for the invitation to come. And we're excited to be here with you. Well, if you found your place, let me invite you to, to look at God's Word with me. Beginning there in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible tells us this promise, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then Paul begins with a series of questions in verse 14. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? In verse 15, it continues on, How shall they preach unless they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good things. May God add a blessing to the reading, now the preaching of His Word. I want to share with you very quickly this morning some thoughts about why it is important that you and I get involved proactively in what I'll call today for our conversation God's global agenda, what He is doing around the world. First of all, we need to get involved because of the need. Paul asked the question in verse 14, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Now folks, do you and I understand living in south central Kentucky, that seems like an almost ridiculous question, doesn't it? And yet even though Jesus Christ gave his great commission to the church well over 2,000 years ago, even though we have more churches and bigger churches and larger budgets and more resources than we've ever had in history before, there are still those people out there. People who have not yet heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Now, I know that's hard for you and I to imagine, and yet as you and I have gathered for worship this morning, there are an estimated 1.6 billion, 1.6 billion people living in the world who have not yet heard for the first time a clear presentation of the gospel in their own language or in a culturally appropriate way that they could understand and to which they could respond. And you and I as believers living here, the, you know, the thing that wells up in us, how is that possible? In our day and time, with all of the technology and all of the resources that we have in the North American church, how can there be literally billions of people who've not yet heard the gospel for the first time? Well, for many people that are living in areas like the Amazon Basin, you saw a video clip a moment ago where Jenny and I are trying to go and serve as your international missionaries. They are isolated geographically. Now, we put together a slide that has all kinds of facts about the Amazon Basin, but to illustrate this point, I would pull off just the bottom one up there for you. The Amazon Basin today, even in the time in which you and I live, presents this huge barrier, uh, sometimes what seems to be an impenetrable barrier. Consider this, National Geographic and several other scientific organizations estimate there are as many as 85 tribes as many as 85 people groups that live so isolated out within the Amazon rainforest 
They've not even encountered modern man yet, much less had an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way we know they're there is because of satellite energy. It's a huge barrier that exists, and it's true not only in the Amazon basin, but in other rainforest regions throughout the world. And again, to try and help us get a picture of that and, and to try to really understand it, we've got one more video clip that we want to show very quickly, if you'll watch this with me. After reaching the Shuar, who live on the edge of the Amazon basin, we wanted to go deeper to venture to the farthest possible place we could go. So the next day we floated down a tributary of the Amazon for more than eight hours, heading to our destination. I sat there on the edge of the boat, observing life on the river. While I sat on the boat, seeing these slices of life on the river, I couldn't help but think about the conclusion of history, how it includes the river of life mentioned in Revelation chapter 22. On either side of the river was the tree of life, the leaves of which were for the healing of the nations. My friend and traveling partner Russ Barr shared a little bit about how such a river could deliver the gospel through prayer. Many of these rivers and the streams up above these rivers uh, flow down to a base of somewhere around 3,000 feet. They continually flow downhill until they join the Amazon River. Many of these people groups, we have not figured out God's way of how to get to them yet with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you join me in praying that God would show us how the flow of His truth in the gospel could flow where these people live, all over the Amazon basin, so that all of these tribes can have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. morning, Jenny and I want to invite you to join us as prayer partners for the Amazon Basin area. 
more than 270 unreached people groups living isolated out there. Our job assignment is to work with the indigenous tribes living in the rainforest area. And I would share with you this morning that prayer, the praying of God's people, is the only way that many of these people groups will ever have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, as you've seen in the video clips we've already shared this morning. Jeannie and I brought with us all kinds of prayer resources this morning, four or five different types, and we have them set up out here in the open area. And after this morning's service, our family will be out there. We'd love to give you more information. And if you'd like to be a prayer partner with us and for the people of the Amazon Basin, we would love to give you all of that information and sign you up after this service is over. We want to invite you to pray this morning, to get proactively involved in praying for unreached people groups. Geography is a huge area, is a huge challenge in these. But then there are other parts of the world that folks are not isolated from the gospel because of the geographical factors of where they live, but instead because of the political, the socio-political factors of where they live. Consider this fact this morning, that the gathering in Central Asia, that population of countries that you and I might call the Stan region, Afghanistan, Pakistan, that area of the world, only 0.037%. Only 0.037% of the 250 plus million people living in that area of the world profess to know the name of Jesus Christ. This year alone, 7.5 million people will die in that vast country of China. 7.5 million people. Folks, that's the population of New York City. And the vast majority of them will die without yet having an opportunity to hear a clear presentation of the gospel in a way that they can understand, in a way to which they could respond and make a decision of whether they want to accept that gospel or not because of where they are living. You see, whether it is communism, whether it is socialism, whether it is the growing number of Islamic states, the outcome is tragically the same, and there are many people who are cut off from an opportunity to even hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you beginning to see the need this morning? You see, I have to confess that I did not really... Not until God was able to open our eyes during a recent mission trip that Jenny and I participated on there in the mountains of Ecuador. Eastwood uh, has established about five years ago a partnership with our church planning missionaries there in the mountain region of Ecuador. So I've had the joy of leading seven different teams over the last five years to go and try and work alongside of them. And two years ago, while we were there, we had taken down a large medical team uh, kind of put together from several churches in this area. And we were working in this small mountain village there. And as a part of what we would do each day before a person could come through the medical clinic and have an opportunity to get all the great care that we had brought down, they would be gathered in groups of 10, no more than 15. And one of our Ecuadorian partners would present the gospel to them and give them an opportunity to respond to the gospel that day. And then we would sign their card and they could be triaged on through to the medical clinic. Well, the school there in Sucre allowed us to use their facility to conduct this medical clinic. And so as a part of that agreement, we had promised we would do well checks on all of the children that attended school there in the community of Sucre. We did not know when that day would come. We just knew at some point during the week they would ask us to do so. And so the moment came kind of midday while we were there, midweek. And instead of trying to break the kids down into groups of 10 or so, what we did instead is one of our Ecuadorian partners went into a classroom at a time with one of the large evangel cubes, and he would present the gospel to all the children, and then we would perform the well checks there. 
And as he would do the gospel, what I began to do is I just would kneel down or find a place to sit right outside of the classroom door, and I would pray for them while they were sharing the gospel. See, each morning we would get a team of prayer warriors, and we would pray over the whole area. We would prayer walk the community, and we would especially pray in the area where the gospel would be presented, group after group every day. But while he was presenting the gospel to a classroom, I just prayed on the outside. Well, church, there are seven classrooms in the community of Sucre. And I'm going to confess to you this morning that after I had prayed over three classrooms, I was pretty well prayed out. Uh, It was time for us to move to the fourth doorway, and as we began to move, it just kind of occurred to me, and I found myself whispering to the Lord, Father, you've already heard every thought that could pass through my head at least twice. Uh, I honestly didn't have a clue what to pray next, and uh, I honestly was a little emotionally and spiritually tired for having been praying through that whole period of time, and so I started looking around. We had a team of almost 40 people, and I thought, sure enough, I'll catch one of them goofing off, and I'll grab them and ask them to pray over the next classroom, but everybody was busy doing what they needed to be doing. And so everybody else being busy and me knowing that someone needed to pray, I just began to do what many of you have done in your prayer lives, and that is I just began to pray scripture back to the Father. And honestly, without any premeditation, no forethought to it whatsoever at all, as Jorge began in the next classroom, I from memory began to quote Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And I remember praying, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I remember my prayer continuing on, Father, just give these boys and girls enough faith to call out. Most of them have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel before that they could understand. Lord, just give them enough faith to believe. And when I had prayed every thought that I had about Romans 10, 13, I moved on from memory. And I will confess, even in that moment, I didn't think about where the Holy Spirit was taking me. But from memory, I quoted verse 14, but how can they call on him of whom they have not believed? How can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And that's when it hit me. Sucre is this small, tiny, remote village that's located well up over 11,000 feet in the Andes Mountains. It is a gorgeous village. And from where I was kneeling in prayer in that particular moment, you could actually see every house in the community of Sucre spread out on the mountainside in front of us. There were only four houses that were located behind the school that I couldn't see. And from there in prayer, as I began to look at the hillside, it finally hit me. There is no church in Sucre. There is no church within a 45-minute drive of Sucre. That is, if you had a vehicle to drive, and most of the people living in that village did not. And so suddenly this huge weight began to wear down upon my shoulders as it occurred to me that when we loaded up our bus at the end of that week and we drove out of that community, we would not be leaving behind anyone who would know how to intentionally try to be a light for Jesus Christ in that community. Folks, you and I, we need to get proactively involved this morning because the need is real. There are still people who not only have not heard, but because of where they're living and how they're living, they do not even have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if they want to. Secondly, this morning, I would argue that we need to get proactively involved in what God is doing globally because of the necessity. We talked about the need, but there's another question. And I find that we don't often ask this question out loud, at least not as freely as we do those first set of questions, but it's always there. It's right behind the other questions. I would argue it is what motivates those questions, and here it is. Rob, is it necessary? 
Is it really necessary that those 1.6 billion people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it really necessary that these people that are living isolated out in the jungle, is it really necessary that they have an opportunity to personally put their faith in Jesus Christ? I mean, won't God understand? I mean, aren't there many different ways that a person could be saved? I think that our text has already answered that question for us this morning, both directly and very concisely. Because what did it actually say in verse 13? The Bible says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you take that verse and you put it in context, there's no question what name it is that we're talking about. It is the name of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Peter, he put it this way over in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And we'll put the words on the screen. But Peter said, Nor is there salvation found in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You say, sure, Rob, that's what Peter said. That's what Paul said. But Jesus never said anything like that. Jesus never claimed that he was the only way that a person could be saved. Actually, he did. And there are several different verses that we might could quote. But I want us to think this morning back to John chapter 3, verse 18. It comes just two verses after that favorite verse that we all love where it says, For God so loved the world. And that conversation goes on between Jesus and Nicodemus. And by the time he gets to verse 18, Jesus makes this statement, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. And you and I would interject on the basis of what, Jesus? On the basis of what would a person stand condemned before God? And hear how Jesus makes his statement. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only. Don't miss that. The one and only begotten Son of God. Now I totally understand where we are coming from with these questions. I do. I understand the motivation that we have when we begin thinking about these vast number of people that do not have access to the gospel. I understand even more when we begin thinking about our own friends and family members who are not believers in Jesus Christ. I understand that in us something wells up that we want to hope, we want to believe that maybe there is some other way. But church, please hear me clearly this morning. If there is any other way of salvation other than a person personally putting faith in the name of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, there is not so much as a hint of it found in the pages of Scripture. More than that, I would argue this morning, the only way that you and I could even theorize that such a way exists is to ignore what the Bible does clearly tell us. What the Bible does clearly say. And so once we come face to face with the clear biblical teaching that Jesus is in fact the way, the truth, the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through Him, the only responsible thing that remains is for you and I to respond to that incredible gift of the cross and to allow Jesus Christ to be in our lives who He is and what He came to be. But more than that, church, When you and I come to an understanding that the Bible says, yes, they must hear. Yes, they must have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think the only responsible question that remains for you and I is to ask, what can we do? What must we do so that they would at least have a chance to hear the gospel in their lifetime? Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus is speaking. And in that text, Jesus makes this statement. He says, to whom much is given, 
much will also be required. To whom much has been entrusted, much will also be expected. You and I, especially in this economy, we may look around and say, you know, Rob, I haven't been given a whole lot. I haven't been entrusted. I don't have much. But we have been entrusted with the gospel. We have been given. You and I have been entrusted with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We are stewards of the good news. And more than that, listen, the North American church, there's no way that we can kid ourselves. We have been entrusted with more than enough resources to take the gospel to the nations. I would argue we have the resources to get it done in our lifetime if we would make it a priority of the church. The only question is, what are we doing with it? Are we being good stewards? Thirdly, this morning, we need to get proactively involved in what God is doing in God's global agenda More than anything else, because of the name. We need to do it because of the name. You see, it is important that we respond to the need. It is important that we understand the necessity, the obligation that comes with the gospel. But I would argue more than anything else, we do it for the name. We do it for the glory and because of the splendor of Jesus Christ. We do it because those of us who are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, there was a moment in your life, was there not? Whatever age you were, now however long ago it was, there was a moment when you came to understand, I need Jesus. I need him more than anything else. And you took that first step of faith. What I find is is that once we've taken that first step of faith and we begin to follow Him and we begin to mature and we begin to grow in our faith, there's a second moment. There's a second landmark that we come to where we begin to realize suddenly, you know what, not only is Jesus what I need, He is what every person needs. No matter who they are, no matter what their income, no matter what their zip code or where they're living, every person needs a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it begins to compel us to want to pray, to want to give, to want to go so that they can know who He is. And as I've had the joy of serving in local churches for more than 18 years now, and as I have walked with some of our senior saints who have known the Lord longer than I've been alive, you know what, I've become convinced there's a third landmark that we reach. There's a point in our walk of faith where we realize not only is He what we need, but He's all that we could ever want. He's all that we could ever long for. And when we come to that point of understanding that maturity of faith, And we look around the world, folks, we can't imagine a scenario in which anyone would have to live without an opportunity to know the Savior that we know. And we want to do what we can. This morning, you have an opportunity to give your gift to Jesus. And I hope this morning that you've come prepared to give. I hope that you weren't caught off guard. I doubt that you were. More than that, I pray that you have prayed about that gift this morning. I hope that you have covered in prayer. Father, what would you have me to give? I hope that you have come with a gift that God has laid upon your heart. You see, there's a danger that we have sometimes in our churches when we come to a day like this day, and that is we come prepared to give, but some of us have only come with a token offering so that we can say that we gave. Some of us only came with a token offering because we know that we're going to be walking to the front in a moment and we don't want someone to see that we were the family that stayed in the pew. Listen, it's not the amount of the offering that I'm talking about this morning, but the heart in which it is given, the attitude in which it is given, folks, that really does make a difference. And are we giving this morning out of a love for Jesus Christ? Are we giving this morning out of a burden 
for the nations. I pray that you are. And I want to remind you this morning that, that this year the, the need is so incredibly critical. Jenny and I had gone more than a whole year in the process of appointment as your international missionaries. We'd gone through all the medical screening, all the interviews. We reached the point where the IMB called us and said, Rob, everything's a go. You are ready to move forward. And so we began to move forward. We announced to our church, and, and they had already knew, but we kind of said, hey, we're a go. We put our house on the market. We sold our house. Jenny began to have a series of yard sales, and we began to sell and give away most all of our stuff. And after, after the point, about two weeks after having sold the home and having sold most of our stuff, we got a second call from the IMB. And the IMB said, Rob, we're sorry, but your family's going to have to be put on hold because the money isn't there for you to be able to go. Earlier this year, as many as 80 families just like ours who had been through the entire appointment process, we stood ready to be appointed and to go as your international missionaries were put on hold. You see, last year, not only did our Lottie Moon Christmas offering fall short of the goal that had been set, but in reality, it fell more than $9 million short of what we had given in the previous years. You add that reality onto the fact that our churches are increasingly giving less and less of the cooperative program than what we have given in the past. And the reality, as you and I have gathered for worship this morning, is that the International Mission Board has not only had to delay missionaries to the field, but we are currently reducing the total number of missionaries that we can support on the field. By this time next year, there will be 600 fewer missionaries that we have as Southern Baptists than we had at the beginning of this year. Because the giving has fallen so short. This morning, you have an opportunity to give. Jenny and I, by our original timeline, we actually would have already been appointed. We would have already finished all of our pre-field training. And come January, the first week of January, we would have arrived on the field in the Amazon Basin. As we're here in worship with you this morning, we're hoping that we'll be able to be appointed March 3rd do our pre-field training, and finally make it to the field by June of this year. But do you know what the IMB has told us that will determine the actual timeline for these 80-plus families that have been put on hold earlier this year? This year's Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And so I pray that in the midst of the holiday season, you've given some earnest prayer. Father, what would you have me to give? And that whatever he's asked you to do, that you've come prepared this morning to make that gift to Jesus. You see, you have an opportunity this morning. You can pray, but you can also be very tangibly involved this morning in giving a gift that can significantly impact eternity. That can make available to the people living in China. That can make available to living to people in Central Asia and in the Amazon Basin where we're trying to go an opportunity to have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity to be involved in something very significant. But folks, God always leaves the choice up to you. Significance. What does it mean to you? To physician Martha Myers, significance meant laying down her life in the volatile Islamic country of Yemen way before it was abruptly taken from her. For journeyman Bob Lane, it meant an isolated life in the scorching Amazon jungle, but not from his God and the people he daily served. He hunted for his own food, traveled by canoe from one inaccessible village to another, and made an incredible impact in a very remote part of our world. 
For Eric Ries, significance means living in the dangerous slums of Brazil, literally dodging bullets and sharing the hope of Jesus to the down and out. And for this wealthy, educated woman, Lottie Moon, the life of others, the grimy, poor, and disregarded of China, outweighed her very own. Lottie literally starved to death so that others could live. In 1912, during a very difficult time of war and famine in China, she gave everything she had to help her starving Chinese friends. On Christmas Eve, weighing no more than 50 pounds, her body could not go on anymore. Each year, in honor of what Lottie did, millions give to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering for International Missions. But there's more to Lottie's life than just her death. She was proficient in six languages and became one of the first women to receive a Master of Arts degree. She was not afraid to go to China as one of the first single female missionaries. Lottie was also willing to say what she thought. She fought for the opportunity to speak God's word boldly and vigorously appealed for more workers and for churches to support them passionately with their prayers and financial gifts. Lottie worked tirelessly to serve God unhindered and, in the process, made a mind-boggling impact that broke the social norms of her day, both here in the U.S. and in China. Lottie led in the campaign to end the torturous practice of binding feet, a Chinese custom to enhance a woman's appearance that often led to infection, illness, and sometimes death. Like Lottie, there have been others who have made an undeniable impact upon our world. They have brought slavery to an end, healed the sick, and given God's word to the nations. What about us? How will you and I define significance? Will we sit on the sidelines and idly watch as others like Lottie Moon take Christ to the radical fringes of missions? Or will we get in the game supporting those who are reaching out to the millions upon millions of people who remain in poverty, physically and spiritually? You can make a significant difference. You can do all things through Christ to change our world. But the choice is yours. Lottie Moon followed Jesus, gave her all, and made a lasting impact. Will you do the same? Brothers and sisters, it's time to give. Uh, as your pastor, I want to say a few words, and then I want to call you forward to uh, ask you to sacrifice and give. Um, I want to go. I just want to go. I'm going to go with Rob. I want to go to the Amazon Basin. It just breaks my heart to think about the fact that there are people there who need to hear the gospel, and they are here. They shouldn't be here. Did you hear what he said? They should not be here. They should already be there, but because churches like ours have not been giving, they're not there. They're missionaries. They've sold their house. They're ready to go, but they haven't been able to go because churches haven't been giving. I know that for us this is a special emphasis. It feels like a special emphasis at Christmas, but this is not a special emphasis. This is our purpose. When Jesus stood with his disciples there in his very final days, he continued to tell them that something very important would happen, that they would be going. Jesus says in Acts 1.8, on, on his last moment with his disciples, he said to them, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You will be my witnesses, he said. He's talking to a group of uneducated men. He's talking to men who had never traveled anywhere. He's talking to men who could not have possibly understood how far away the uttermost parts of the world were. They couldn't have known, but Jesus knew, and Jesus said that it would happen, and it's happening. That was in about the year 30, 30 A.D., the first century, when Jesus said to his disciples, you shall be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. 
By the year 47, the apostle Paul had taken the gospel as far away as what we call modern-day Turkey. That was by the year 47. By the year 80, the gospel had reached France. By the year 280, the gospel had reached northern Italy. This is significant because that means it had begun to take root in, in rural areas. No longer was the gospel just something taking root in the cities, but now also in the country. That was the year 280. In 432, Patrick had taken the gospel as far away as Ireland. By 740, the gospel had reached Iceland. By 1445, the gospel reached a place called Guinea-Bissau in West Africa. By 1508, missionaries had taken the gospel to Venezuela, very, very near the Amazon basin. By 1514, the gospel reached California, what we now call California. By the year 1769, Squire Boone became the very first preacher to step foot in what is now called Kentucky. 1867, a church was established in a place called Woodburn, Kentucky, and that church was Woodburn Baptist Church. Here we sit. That was 1867. 1935, Pastor Eugene L. Hill from Woodburn Baptist Church heard the call to become a missionary. He left Woodburn and went to Canton, China, Eugene Hill, where he established a Baptist seminary there in Canton, China and served out his life as a missionary in China from Woodburn. 1963, Pastor Bill Clark Thomas and his wife Ruth, they left Woodburn. They went to Singapore, Malaysia, served God faithfully as missionaries there. Later, they went to France. And on and on it goes. Jesus said it would happen. Brothers and sisters, it's happening. 1987, our church sent two college girls on what was the first of the short-term mission trips the Southern Baptists were just beginning to take. We sent two girls to Kenya, Africa. They were Jackie Henderson, Casey Wilson. Casey later became my wife. That's not a part of the story. They went to Kenya, Africa, came back and told our church what they had done, what they had seen. 1988, Pastor Ken Cummins and his wife, Tammy, they leave Woodburn. They go to Honduras. They become missionaries here. The year 2000, a group of us go on what was the first uh, large group from our church that went on short-term missions. We spent uh, the week there in Honduras. It was amazing. 2008, we send journeyman Brent Hippler to Panama where he eats snakes and carries the gospel all through that region. 2009, Kelly and Trisha, Kelly and Trisha Lawrence abandoned their lives and they uh, hear the call and they answer the call and go to Central America. Now they're in Costa Rica in language school preparing for mission in Honduras. 2009, Woodburn Baptist Church plants a campus in Simpson County, Franklin, Kentucky, where Kelly and Trisha Lawrence speak today to talk about what God is doing, what God is doing. It's happening, brothers and sisters. Jesus said it would happen, and it's happening. We are his witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus said those words in the year 30, all of these years later, here we stand, and it's happening. This is not a special emphasis. This is our purpose. This is what Jesus has called us to do, and it is what we are doing. I wish I could go, but God isn't calling me to go. God has called me here to Woodburn Baptist Church, and God is calling us to plant churches, and by God's strength, we will plant those churches, not just in Warren County, not just in Simpson County, but I pray we plant those churches to the uttermost parts of the earth. We can't all go, but we are all a part of something so great, so large, so wonderful, and we must do our part well. For those of us who won't be going, we must send them and we must send them well. 
This gift to Jesus for the world today is our opportunity to send. Our goal is $25,000. It sounds like a lot of money. That's not a lot of money. It's not enough to do the job. The job is so great. But we will do our part. I ask you today, brothers and sisters, do your part. Jesus said it would happen. And it's happening in our lifetimes before our eyes. The gospel continues to move forward. Let us do our part. Stand together, let us pray, and then we will give. Oh, Lord Jesus, those earliest disciples who received that great commission, they couldn't have possibly understood what it meant, what it would cost them, what they would have to do to fulfill it. And God, all of those years later, here we stand, and we still can't quite grasp what you called us to do, what it will cost us, what we will have to do to fulfill it. But Lord Jesus, we stand here today as your faithful children just to profess before you that we will go and and we will pay the cost and we will do whatever it takes to do our part to fulfill this great commission. Oh God, how great it is to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Lord Jesus, you said it would happen and it's happening. Lord, I pray that by our gifts this morning, uh, many, many more missionaries will go Many, many more lost people will respond to the gospel, and the gospel will continue to make its march across the whole world. Lord Jesus, thank you that it's happening, and thank you, Lord, that you've chosen to use us to help make it happen. Lord Jesus, receive our gifts this morning. Use them, Lord, for the advance of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. For Jesus' sake, amen.